work days are filled with things to do. And a lot of times those things to do evolve into projects. Getting a project done, putting a project plan together can be a real beast. How do you carry a project out to completion while still dealing with the people problems that present themselves along the way? Welcome to the Work With Me podcast, where we help you improve workplace relationships. As always, this podcast is sponsored by IFI Training. I'm Richard. (laughs) I'm Scott. And I'm Susan. Each episode, we dive into a media or pop culture reference using the 3D relationships tool to better understand others and come away with actionable insights into how to solve people problems at work. Today, we're going to look at a great film. I think it's a great film. Remake of a 1960s classic starring... George Clooney and Brad Pitt, 2001, Ocean's Eleven. Things to know from this movie. One of the most important things to know is that it is a movie about a bunch of thieves and con artists who work to pull off a heist. I object to the term thieves and con men. That's what they are. No, they're working professionals in an industry that is not commonly known as purely ethical. It's not. At the beginning of the movie, Danny Ocean is just getting out of prison after serving four and a half or five years. Four years. Danny needs to put together a team to create this big heist. This is a a fun heist movie. They do a great job, I think, of kind of pulling the wool over your eyes as it's happening. I mean, you don't realize exactly what happens until the end of the movie. So we will be covering that as well as a lot of spoilers along the way. Danny comes out of prison with a plan to rob three casinos. Also, to get his wife back, who divorced him while he was in prison. So much of the movie is spent in pulling the cast together. Oddly enough, there are 11 members of Danny's team. Including himself. Hence, Ocean's Eleven. Oh, that, that's where that came from. Today, we're not going to dive into a single people problem necessarily. What we're looking at is the immensely difficult field of project management. So essentially, you could look at this heist as if it were a project, because that's what it is, right? And uh, they have done studies that have found actually people in prison a lot of times have wonderful entrepreneurial skills. <laughs> no, it's true. If, yeah. if they've been a man- member of a gang or something like that, they can figure a lot of things out. We're going to talk about the general problem of how do you carry a project out? We're not going to give you your professional and project management at the end of this, but uh, you should get a better idea of of how often it is the people problems that will delay a project or prevent it from being completed the way that it's supposed to. So while we're while not 100% of this focuses on just people problems, a lot of it does. And we will be talking about those. So we're going to start by talking about finding the right team for a project. Sometimes that's easier than other times. Then we're going to talk about how do you deal with personal problems when they crop up in a project. And lastly, how do you make the project viable? How do you make it work? And a lot of times that includes the follow-up as well as kind of getting started and all that. So why don't we start with talking about how Danny finds the right team? One of the reasons that we're not talking about specific people problems is this team, right? Uh, Danny's team uh, of 10 additional people really don't have a lot of problems with each other. With the possible exception of the Mormon twins, I use air quotes. You couldn't see that, obviously. But there are two brothers that do fight quite a bit in the movie. But other than that, 
the members of the team really do get along quite well. Well, it's interesting, though, those two brothers, that's their way because they're still really effective in the middle of all of the disagreements that they have. And they use their disagreements to make some things happen. That's true. It's just their way. The first thing Danny does is find his partner in crime, literally, Rusty. Actually, the first member he seeks out is Frank Catton. Because Frank knows how he can find Rusty. Yes. Yeah. Frank's close by. That relationship between Danny and Rusty is a phenomenal relationship. It's a lot of fun to see how they interact. And uh, it's worth kind of, I guess, breaking down a few things about them and about their personalities and, and maybe experience before we dive into what makes it successful. One of the things we see with Danny and Rusty is that there is definitely a history of them working together. They know each other really, really well. From a personality standpoint, Danny Ocean is a horse. I think we all agree with that. He's a horse. He's about relationships. That core instinct of connection is kind of what drives him. And he does have very good personal connections that help him to pull people in. And we see that as, as he convinces, whereas Rusty is a bear. Bears are that core instinct of balance. They're very even, not as verbal. Um, Rusty has got a set of skills, but he may not have the drive to pull off this kind of a epic um, heist. You see in Rusty the planning, the thinking things through, the observation, being aware of knowing what's going on. You see those traits, but he does seem to miss the the motivation or the or the drive. And the first thing that he asks Danny when they get together is, what are we going to do? I mean, he, he knows that Danny will come with a project and he's excited to see what it's going to be. Yeah. And when, when Danny finds Rusty, Rusty is teaching Hollywood stars how to play poker. It's not fun for Rusty. It's a living. It's a living. Kind of a funny scene with him playing poker with five stars playing themselves. And they're terrible at poker. It's all, I got all reds. All reds with his diamonds and hearts. But I think the the type of relationship that Danny and Rusty have exemplifies kind of the goal of what a good, healthy working relationship should be. When they first get together, Danny works his way into the game and Danny and Rusty are able to just con the artists right out of more money. On the fly. Yeah. Yeah. That's how well they know each other. And, and then later on, I suspect Danny probably has the outline of a plan. As a horse, he does not take losing his wife to a casino owner lightly, and he wants payback. And I think that's really his core motive here. You have to recognize that horses hold grudges, and it's a lot harder for them to let go of a grudge than it would be other personalities, especially monkeys are the quickest to let go of things. And then jungle cats. Jungle cats let things go. They may vent, but they let things go fairly easily. Both horses and bears have a hard time letting things go. The horse will hang on to it forever. Yep. And so I think the aspect of the heist that truly motivates Danny is about getting revenge, right? He wants to get Tess back. What what did you mean by that? Horses (laughs) hold on to things forever. Exactly. Says our resident (laughs) horse. (laughs) He's going he's gonna to hold on to that until the next yep, podcast. I'm yes, trouble. I am. <laughs> what did you mean by that? Um, but So I think he has kind of a loose plan of, of, hey, this is what we could do. But he recognizes that Rusty probably has the talent for bringing it together. 
And when they, after they've gotten the plans for the building, you see them kind of work through that plan. And Danny trusts Rusty to finish putting it together. And, and Rusty gives him the lingo of all the different uh, cons that they'll need to perform in the job. And it seems like he's actually saying, I mean, the first however many times I've watched the movie, I always assumed he was just talking about who they would need, but it's about the different jobs that they would need to perform. The different cons. Yeah. And the they're going to need people to perform those specific cons, those specific. Yeah. But not necessarily a specific yeah. person. It's yeah. just, hey, we're going to need this. Yeah. So that's why you get to the later scene where they're sitting at a bar and Rusty doesn't say a word in and, the scene. <laughs> yeah. In the whole scene. Yeah. But it's, Danny it's, has a conversation with him anyway. But because they know each other well enough and because bears are nonverbal and Danny is able to read him they're able to have the conversation that they need. I think it's a beautiful example of just letting people be people, but understanding each other well enough to, to know. Do you think we need one more? You think we need one more? Okay, we'll get one more. You want to be able to understand coworkers well enough to know what that means, because there are plenty of circumstances where you could feel like, maybe Danny could feel like Rusty was microaggressing against him because he wasn't saying anything. He wasn't even looking at him. He wasn't responding. Yeah, good point. But they were able to overlook that and just understand each other. And you see that kind of throughout the movie. I think Rusty has a serious problem with Danny that he wasn't completely upfront with him. They're able to work through that because they know each other. Yeah, Danny didn't say anything at all to Rusty about the fact that they were going to try and get his wife Tess back as a result of this heist. Yeah, that's Danny's plan, but it's... It's his plan and he doesn't let anybody else in on it. Jumping back to that elevator scene after they get, or they're waiting for the elevator after they get the, the plans, Danny gives him the speech and Rusty confronts him with, you've been practicing that since prison, haven't you? And he goes, he goes, yeah, was it, was it, was it too rushed? And he goes, no, no, I liked it. I, I think Rusty knew that it was a speech. He knew that Danny had practiced it, but he was, he was okay with that response. What undercut the relationship, and again, not to a fatal point, they were able to work through those differences was not knowing that it was really about Danny's ex, Tess, not just the money. Yeah. Fun to watch the relationship all the way through. And even though we don't see it develop, we do see Danny and Rusty work together to kind of train up a new guy. They do some things kind of on the sly with Linus. Linus is this guy that they've brought in. Danny and Rusty are great at finding people who have a specific expertise. And that expertise uh, is paramount, right, in executing the plan and accomplishing the project. And I think a lot of times in the work world, people look at personality first or they look at culture fit. Is this person going to fit in? And this is a, a great example of where they're looking at expertise. They're looking at what people can do. And very secondarily is how they fit in. They make it about the heist and about each getting a, a huge payday, right? $163 million split 11 ways, plus Tess. Tess doesn't split 11 ways, but <laughs> they do get her in the end. Spoiler. Well, just, just Danny, because they, they don't split her 11 ways. That's true. I guess Danny ends up with Julia Roberts. It's fun to see that the focus is entirely on what each person brings to the team, not who they are, not even really what they've done in the past, but what is their skill set and how does that fit? Can it help the project come to pass? And with that, they create their, their team of 11. As they go around showing different characters, I think there's a lot to learn for why they chose the specific characters. 
Uh, for example, you have Livingston, who's their technology expert, and it shows that he's been working for the federal government doing things, but really not in a great position for him. And I think that Danny and Rusty know they can improve his situation. They truly let him just run it. And it's kind of like, hey, what, what do you need to make this happen? And they let it happen instead of feeling like they need to tell him how to do it. And you especially see that with Basher, uh, who's played by Don Cheadle. He's the explosions expert and is a total fun-loving character. He has a monkey personality. And they say, hey, we're going to need power out for a little bit. And Don Cheadle goes, do you want blind, broke, or bedlam? And they go, how about all three? But, but they just say, this is what we need. And then they, they let him figure it out. When you get the right people on your team, when you have people that have expertise, tell them the problem you need solved and then let them solve it. And that's what we see happen in this movie. We find the people, we give them their tasks, Danny and Rusty give them their responsibilities, and then they just, they just let them solve them their way. Now they help out when there are needs, but they rely on their experience and their expertise and there is no micromanaging. Yeah, there's this term that I really like, ultra-crepidarianism, where we're tempted to give advice on things that we don't know that much about. And if, if I'm putting myself into Danny's shoes or even Rusty's shoes, because let's say Danny's the project manager and Rusty's kind of like the assistant project manager, it would be really easy to feel like you should know everything and you should be able to not, not just plan out the heist, the, the different pieces or the, the broad pieces, but also the individual parts that they're doing. So I, I should know exactly what explosives to use and how to use them instead of relying on that expertise just because I don't have time for them to do it. And in place of knowing exactly what it is that you should do to fill this project, this part of the project that you're on, a lot of times the leader will say, keep me in the loop. Let me know what's going on. Tell me how you're meeting that. And I'm not saying that's all bad. But when you get the right people on the bus, you don't need those updates. This, this project is two weeks in length. They give the assignment to each person, go do your task. And then they worry about what they're supposed to be accomplishing and let, they let Don Cheadle do his part. They let Livingston do his part. They let each individual fulfill their responsibility. And in the end, they're successful pulling the heist. Basher, not Don Cheadle. Basher. Okay. So our second part of the podcast, let's talk about personal problem. We see that in this movie in several ways. One is Tess, Danny's ex-wife, and uh, she has moved on, right? Uh, Danny has not. Uh, she is with Terry Benedict, who's the owner of the casino, an uber jungle cat, Benedict is. Not a very healthy, well, did you say healthy? He's not a good person. As he's, a boss, I think he's he's fairly healthy in that he incorporates like the personal pieces into his role. There is some healthy aspect and some unhealthy aspect to Benedict's character. And just there like is with for most, most people. Of us, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. If you take traditional behavioral based personality assessments into account, I don't think you get the complete picture of where his health is. Meaning that he acts sometimes in ways that traditional horses or socially motivated people may act, but he does it for jungle cat reasons, meaning he is a, an uber jungle cat. About control. He's about the control. The reason why he knows the valet's names is because he wants to be in control of what's going on in his hotel. And the line is, 
there's always someone watching in my hotels and he wants that to be him for the most part. And if he has Mr. Walsh, who's his manager, he knows he can trust him with managing, watching everything. But at the end of the day, somebody has to be in control of it. And report directly to him, directly back to Terry Benedict. He's going to know everything. Yeah. And I, I don't think he needs to know everything all the time. I think he needs to know that he has access to that information when he does yeah. want it. Jungle cats are all about efficiency, right? And they do delegate. And this is a, g- a good example of delegating, both from Danny Ocean and Rusty, right? And the, the heist team know how to delegate. They don't micromanage. They step off, Susan, like you said, and, and let people do it. Terry Benedict, kind of on the opposite side, is also very efficient at doing that. He learns other languages so he can glad hand the high rollers, but it is all about control and it is very non-emotional, meaning he's not actually emotionally attached to anyone. We even find out that he's not emotionally attached to his girlfriend, Tess. So the people problem that we're seeing in this behavior is that Danny Ocean has a, he has an ulterior motive for the heist. He's brought all these 11 people together, theoretically, just because they're all going to get money out of it. But the reality is he wants the girl back and he has kept that from the team. In teams in, in the workplace, the same things happen. We all have personal agendas, personal reasons for the things that we do. And sometimes those get in the way of the mission. We see a nice example here of what you do to deal with that problem when it comes when it comes to light. And it starts with Danny and Rusty having such a relationship that they can talk to each other about it. Danny's able to be confronted by Rusty without getting upset because he knows Rusty knows him and cares about him and they have a good relationship. So Rusty comes up to him and and talks about that. And if you have a personal issue that's impacting the project that you're trying to manage, it's important to bring it up and to deal with it, not just pretend like it's not an issue. Yeah, hoping it goes away is not a good strategy. Rarely, if ever. Although I think it's one of the most frequent strategies that's tried. It's one I've been guilty of in some not very good ways. It's easier. It's more comfortable. But I think pulling Danny aside, and obviously they come up with a plan to incorporate Linus, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later um, into that situation. But the the key line that he says is, uh, "You can't if you can't, if push comes to shove, and you can't have the money and the girl. Which way are you going to go?" And I would imagine, although it's not seen on the screen, in order for it to be a healthy relationship, they, the project has to come first or clear boundaries have to be set. And maybe the thing that Danny does with that to make it work, and he tells Tess, all right, you may not still love me and that's okay. I can be okay with that. I'll learn to live with it, but you can't stay with him. And he maybe changes the focus in his mind to not just, I've got to get Tess back, but I have to make sure that she doesn't stay with this person whom Danny doesn't like at all. I think Danny, as a horse, uh, knows that Terry Benedict is more about control and money than he is about relationships, which is true. Yeah. Yeah. And for a horse, that can be really hard to take. So the, the reasons are just as important to a horse as, as it would be otherwise. The way they deal with the personal problem interfering in the project is masterfully handled by Rusty. Exactly. Another kind of small personal problem that, that you see in the movie that could affect the project uh, is that Linus, Matt Damon's character, is 
Bobby Caldwell's kid. And so he's got this expectation of himself that maybe it's, it feels like it's too much. It's the looming personality of his dad. His dad's persona looms large in his life and, and he feels all this pressure. And it's, it's a wonderful little exchange where Ruben comes up to Linus at the pool. At the very beginning. Before they explain what the job is. And Ruben, again, another jungle cat, comes up and exchanges a, a few kind of basic pleasantries. But you can tell Matt Damon's kind of struggling with this. What, what am I supposed to do? Do I really want to get involved with this? What yeah. if I fail? It's an epic thing. He's, he's yeah. a pickpocket, right? I mean, he's a, a young kid who that's his living is picking pockets. So to do this kind of epic grandiose yeah. is over his over his head he feels and Ruben just crudely I won't repeat it here exactly how he says it but tells him to just get in the house and get over it and uh, that's a fun use of different personalities you have this jungle cat with um it's hard to know exactly personality for Linus I, I would imagine there's there's bear. quite a bit of bear and and probably some horse, horse. in there. I would say a bear horse in that order yep and that, that that's what I would say too but He's just able to help give him the nudge that he needs. And then that makes way for them to make this project more viable in the long term. And I guess this is a good point to to kind of pivot to this next section. And this is, I guess, the only non-people problem that we're dealing with in general, but where people problems bleed in is how do you make the project work in the long term, right? Because on paper, everything can look perfect. You get your Gantt charts out, you're working through your water flow, or maybe you're doing an iterative project management process, whatever that looks like. It seems to that it should work on paper by a certain deadline, but then, you know, these people issues get involved. How, how do you work through those? And I think one of the most important things that they do is future-proof this project. They make sure that it works for, for this particular project, but also for Oceans 12 and Oceans 13. You, you see it come up again where if, if they were just managing projects, now they have a team that they can work with and build up some strengths in certain people. And Linus happens to be that person. Can I bring up one more personal problem? And, and it's so classic. And I, I love the, the, how they rope Ruben. So Ruben is a casino owner and he's forced out of, of a casino by Terry Benedict. Uh, Danny and Rusty have done something with Ruben in the past. So there's that that thing with the guy in the, in the place, in the place. And Ruben is a, I see him as a jungle cat monkey. He's got a lot of monkey in him, right? It's very flamboyant played by, by Robert. No, Elliot, uh, Elliot Gould, Elliot Gould. Gould. And uh, Rusty and Danny go to, cause he's got the money, right? They don't have funds to pull off this thing. They've got to get Ruben involved. They, so they sit down and they lay this plan out and Ruben's go, what? You, you can't rob a casino. Nobody's ever robbed a casino. And he gives them the three most, closest, successful. Yeah, most successful robberies, which all failed epically. And uh, so they just say, oh, you're right, man. What were, what were we thinking? And they get up and leave, right? They know exactly how to persuade Ruben and they, they don't spill the beans, right? They they know that the last question Ruben's going to ask is, so what what casinos? Oh, the Bellagio, the MGM Grand, and the uh, Mirage. Mirage. And the Mirage. And Ruben says, wait, those, those are, are Terry, Terry Benedict's, Benedict's casinos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are they? Yeah, yeah, they are. And that's the person <laughs> who forced him out of a casino. So there is that personal vendetta. and and. 
jungle cats, um, monkeys. They're yeah, uh, probably not revenge. No, well, we all do revenge. We all do revenge. Jungle cats particularly dislike being humiliated. Yes. And so that that's where you'll see their claws come out. They'll they'll push back real quick when they feel like they've been slighted in that way in front of other people. So if they're embarrassed or humiliated, that is one of the worst things that you can do to get a jungle cat. Yeah, and and the movie opens you. with the newspaper announcing that his casino is going to be destroyed. Close yeah. because yeah. of Benedict. There's an interesting thing here, and I think this point also fits really well under viable. Danny and and Rusty know that in order to get this project off the ground, they've got to have the money. And so they they have to sit and talk about what what's it going to look like? How are we going to get? They identify Ruben as the benefactor, right? He's the one that has the money and that that can provide the funding for this project. But they have to have spent time figuring out exactly how and they they don't do any more than what needs to be done. They don't they let they let Ruben make the decision to join the group on his own, not because they're persisting in persuading him. When he says no, they just walk away knowing what's going to happen. And I love that element of understanding how people make decisions of knowing what it's going to take to get somebody on board and involved and letting people get there without talking him to death. That's why understanding others, I think, is such an important part of being able to work with someone. Because if you just dive in without a plan, a lot of times you could take the wrong approach. And I, I, I would bet, again, in this imagined story where Ruben is this casino owner, after the heist gets pulled, I bet he says that he's thrilled with the fact that he did it, right? He would have been really grateful for the opportunity and glad that it obviously worked out. If it hadn't worked out, I still think he probably would have been okay with having done it. Yeah, he didn't do it for the money. He, he did it for the revenge. Yeah. And yeah. everybody has different motives, right? Some, some are money. Saul, played by Carl Reiner, uh, they get him, Rusty goes to Florida and gets him involved. It was, that was strictly a money thing, right? He was quote unquote retired. But when he found out it was, you know, a, an eight figure job, think about eight figures, right? Over 10 million per person. That's easily something that, that, uh, Saul couldn't turn down and jumped in because of that. Well, and he was, he was bored. And it's okay that you have a team that has different motives. Yes. As long as you're able to get them all on board. So the fact that they knew how to approach Ruben, they didn't manipulate him, I, I don't think. I think they just took the right approach to let yeah. him yeah. get yeah. on the hook. Yeah. Instead of if they took a different approach, they get shut down too quickly. It had to be Ruben's idea to get involved. And so they kind of led him up to that and let Ruben make the decision. The only reason I bring up whether or not he'd have been okay with that decision afterwards is because there's a fine line between being manipulated and somebody being strategic. Right. They took, they took the best approach for him to give him the best shot to say yes. And there's nothing I think ethically ambiguous or wrong about that. There would be if they hoodwinked him or bamboozled right. him, right, in, into giving them the money. No, knowing, knowing other people and knowing what their persuasion points are, what, what they're motivated by, right? And for Linus, the motivation was to make a name for himself, right? He doesn't want to be Bobby Caldwell's kid. Um, and so that was the motivation. Uh, Danny said, you pull this off and, and 
your dad will be trading on your name. Yes. Yeah. If you look at the process that we use to develop those relationships and work through people problems as they come up to, to stop and evaluate the problem, make sure that you understand the people that you're working with and maybe what the outcomes could and should be, and then create and implement a, a plan. Working through that process, which is what we try to do in each episode in small or, or large ways, as we use examples of people problems at work, you're able to figure out what are those persuasive points that you need to hit and how do we evaluate the appropriate experience and all of that to make things work. So that's what makes the healthy relationships that exist in 3D relationships so, I think, helpful when it comes to anything really that you do at work. Motivating, persuading, and managing. Yep. And, and that is very different from manipulating and conning. And that's not what they do here. If right. you look at the whole thing from the perspective that people do what they think is right most of the time, we do what we believe is right. Do we make mistakes in that process? Yes. But when we understand that, that core reality that people are trying hard to do right things, helping them have better relationships and have access to the information they need to make the right choices and do the right things, that's just healthy relationship. That's just, that's just healthy leadership. It's good, good people management. One of the most important things that Danny and Rusty do is create that relationship with Linus that allows Linus to eventually learn the game, get more skilled, and become a contributing member of the team. And that takes a little bit more work up front. And Linus has to do kind of some grunt work, quote unquote, right? He has to tail Benedict for a little bit. He tails Danny for a little bit. Not particularly glamorous tasks. But as he does that, shows his loyalty, they're able to put him into a better position to be able to help out on the project. That becomes a crucial asset to them that they're able to use later on. If we're too short-sighted on whatever the purpose is of the project, we're just trying to get it done, check the box, get it out the door, regardless of what it looks like. We're not going to take the time to provide the mentorship and training that people need. Each member of the team that Linus works with helps him to develop into a better con man, which isn't what you want typically. <laughs> <laughs> but for a heist movie, I guess that's okay. At, at your workplace, it's, it's a better potential project manager, right? It's good project management for the project manager to be interested in developing their people, right? They want yes. to develop the talents and further just people being better people. So if you're evaluating the objectives of a project, I would, I would stop and make sure that you have developing people in, in those objectives. Because if, if you're forgetting that completely, you're not going to be able to keep running successful projects. When you're most senior people retire, you're left with a whole bunch of people who have no skills or haven't learned the ins and outs of getting to the end of the projects. And you have to start from scratch. There has to be time for mentoring and growing and transferring ability and, and educating. We see a lot of organizations aren't as invested in their employees as they should be, right? They're, they want to get something done. So they pay money and they think that the benefit between the benefits and the pay, that's going to keep people happy. And today we're seeing people leaving, right? Because they're not treated as a whole person. They're, they're being treated as a worker and uh, that's not working. 
for today's, you could say the Gen X, we call them fifth herders. Those people. They tend to be fifth herders. They tend to be fifth herders. And they need, they need investment by people, by managers. And it's about learning the ins and outs, not just the book learning that they got to get the job. The last piece of keeping a project viable and moving forward would be adapting. And there are plenty of opportunities that they take uh, for adapting the project in this movie. A project never goes according to plan. I think we would all agree with that. And one of the things that makes a successful team is adapting to when something fails, right? Being able to pivot and adjust. We see that in the movie with Basher, who is in charge of, obviously, is the explosives expert. And when they destroy Ruben's hotel that we see in the background, that actually um, causes a... They find out the, the weakness that he would have exploited to... To shut down the power. Yeah. So they need to shut down the power during the fight. And now all of a sudden they're, they're screwed because they can't shut down the power like Basher was planning on doing it. It is cool that Basher understands how serious this change was. And instead of just continuing in his job and, you know, monkeying around with whatever or doing whatever he needed to do, he brings it back to the team and says, hey, we have a problem. And I love that they go back at him with, is there another way? And you see this counseling happening, this discussion about how we can best fix this and get to the end when we need to get to the, to the completed project. Yeah. And that collaborative approach that this team takes really from the beginning is so, I think, important to being able to deal with those problems as they come up. I love that when they have that meeting and they're kind of explaining what the job is and all the challenges. You have the amazing yen is like, can we dig? Mm-hmm. That That's what he says, just in Chinese, yeah. which yeah. I understand fluently. So that's how I know that <laughs> <laughs> it might have been the might have been the body language that he uses with. Yeah, anyway, that, that <laughs> hand. Um, they, they take that uh, kind of suggestion and they work with it. And same with when Linus goes, oh, so it's just a smash and grab job. They don't say, no, you idiot. That's the dumbest thing you could have said. Yeah. They go, well, it's slightly more complicated than that. And you can tell Linus is still kind of like, he's feeling things out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what he says. And he recognizes, okay, that wasn't the smartest thing to say, but the group doesn't make him feel like an idiot. They're able to help him understand. Yeah. Like ideas are welcome here. We're going to collaborate. We're going to discuss things as they come up. So I think starting on that foot allowed them to deal more successfully with problems as they came up. Like not having fresh batteries in your remote to detonate. You lose focus in this game for <laughs> one second. There are some great, I know, I know. great someone one, gets hurt. There are some great one-liners in this movie. All right. So what are the things worth remembering from this movie? For me, one of the things that I pull out of this movie is is kind of a weird thing, but it's the camaraderie that gets built in the process of pulling off projects. And you can bring people from disparate backgrounds, life experience, skill sets, you bring them all together and they become friends and almost family in the process of accomplishing major tasks. My biggest thing worth remembering from this movie is that if you're not factoring in people problems into the project itself, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're going to get behind. Your project's not going to be what it 
could be if you take those into account. And, and that, that's one side of the coin is, is the people problem. The other side of the coin is uh, people solutions. It's using people and their skill set to your advantage and being able to collaborate with them. That's what makes project managing magic. I would say that my favorite things worth remembering from this movie would be that we need to adapt our communication. We need to adapt how we persuade, how we motivate different people. And if we're familiar, not just familiar, if we know people, if we know what motivates them, what drives them, we can adjust our communication and adjust how we deal with them to be more persuasive and to be more effective. What would you rate this movie? I thought I had this movie as a seven and a half, maybe. But watching it again brings it up. I think it's an eight or an eight and a half. It's a good watch and there's always something to pull out of it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat pretty much. I I remember really liking this movie when it first came out. And then I was kind of like, you know, it's not the most ethical thing that they do (laughs) uh, as con men. Um, But from a purely enjoyable movie going experience. It it really is a good movie. It's fun. It's got the sleight of hand that I appreciate in movies. So I'd, I'd go eight on this one. I would be a little more generous. I would say nine just because of the ensemble cast, because everybody fills the role so well. And you, you have cameos. You have a lot of cameos by, by famous people in here, including Angie Dickinson, who was in the original 1960s. She makes a kind of a, a guest appearance in the audience of the fight and you've got the fighters, right? Um, it's just, I, I think it's a, I would say it's a nine. Everybody is at the top of their game. Yeah, it's certainly a fun movie. We'd encourage you to go check it out. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Work With Me podcast. You can get show notes or contribute to our discussion on the IFI podcast page by going to ifitraining.com slash workwithme. Uh, There will be a show note in the description below. If you found this episode useful, do us a huge favor and go ahead and drop a link to a friend, family member, or better yet, even a coworker. And as always, give us five stars on whatever podcast app you're using. Make your $163 million project successful by making relationships work for you.